Well, we're continuing on with uh, Galatians chapter number three. I'm going to try to, to finish that up for you this morning in just a few moments that we have left together. Last week, we worked through those emotionally charged questions that the Apostle Paul was asking the Galatian church right at the beginning. And, and we attempted our best to, yes, observe and, yes, interpret context for what was going on, but also to ask ourselves those questions, who's bewitching us, what's pulling us away from Christ. You see, it's a big deal, it is a big deal to move away from the gospel of grace. Living lives that are out of step with what the Bible describes as walking in the Spirit, it's a big deal. And, and Paul addresses it with that much oomph in what he is addressing to the church. He finally finishes up last week with that Abrahamic covenant. We'll touch that again this morning. He's going to touch three. But he says to the, to the churches there, look, you want a Jewish Christianity? You, you want something Jewish about this Christianity? You don't have to go back to the old sign of the covenant. You want a gospel anchored in the Old Testament? You've got it. You and all the people who have come to Christ are the spiritual descendants of Abraham the father of the Jews. He reminded them that circumcision and the law and the Pharisees and the Judaizers all came after faith. Faith came first. Even with Abraham, the Bible says, Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him as righteousness. Faith came first. Galatians 3.9 takes us there. So then those who are of the faith are blessed along with Abraham. Last week, I tried to paint that picture for you that Tony Merida did such a good job giving us that visual for of these three mountains we're going to climb in quick succession. The first is the promise to Abraham. And then before you catch your breath at that mountain and you say, hey, pastor, can we look around for a minute? Like, nope, we got one more. And then we, we're going to climb the law, <laughs> the Mosaic promise. And you're like, hey, hey, pastor, this is a lot. Can I catch my breath? And I go like, nope, we've got one more, and it's Everest. <laughs> and then we climb Everest, but we catch this view that's the payoff of everything because there we see Jesus. And that's what Paul is, is doing in this journey, the Holy Spirit writing and working through him. So as we finished out last week, we remembered this promise that God made to Abraham. In the first 10 verses, we kind of covered that. But there's a lot of overlap here, and I'm going to try my best to pull the covenants out one by one so you can see them, although there's so much overlap in the way that this chapter is written. Remember, God promised a very old Abraham and a very old Sarah that uh, he was going to give them a child and he was going to do it the way he wanted to do it through the two of them, not by any other means. And he did it. But the promise really wasn't about Abraham and Sarah having a child or even starting a family. The promise was really about God's grace and God's faithfulness to keep his word. So how did Abraham respond? I've already touched on it. He believed God, and it was counted unto him as righteousness. The Holy Spirit is reminding us that this living relationship with God begins with faith. And we know from Ephesians 2 that even that is a gift from God. Abraham also teaches us that it's genuine faith, not ritual and not regulation, that's counted as righteousness. 
What were some of the blessings of the Abrahamic covenant? What were some of the blessings of this promise to Abraham? Let me show them to you real quickly. There are others, they're multi-layered, but here are a few that I wanted to bring your attention to. God promised his protection. So one of the first things God promised Abraham was I'm gonna protect you and your people. He promised they would be a great nation. He promised that uh, they would own land. It's a big deal, right? A big deal. It's still in contention today. We still see the fallout from this. He also promised personal blessings to individuals who were in Abraham's family. But the Hebrew people got so fixated on all these things, they thought all this, look at that list. Like if God were giving you a list of things and said, I'm going to give all these to you, they're thinking, wow, all this is for us. This is mine. And their worship song became, it's all about me. <laughs> for my glory and my fame, all this is for me. That was their song. And God's saying, no, this isn't about you. God had a greater purpose for every single one of these blessings than they could see. The Hebrews thought that their protection was so they could last forever. The Hebrews thought that, that the fact they would be a great nation was so that their kingdom would be better than everybody else's. They thought that they would own land so they could have a forever home here on this earth. They, they thought that the personal blessings mean that they could never be threatened by anybody else. Boy, did they miss it. Paul, the Holy Spirit, the Bible here, is very skillfully, directly uh, illustrating and pointing them to the ultimate purpose for all of this, and it's nuanced in all the texts that we'll read this morning. But God has an ultimate seed that all this is for. And I put that sentence up on the screen for you to contemplate this. God has a greater purpose for all of the blessings in your life, too. Why have you been given the gifts that you've been given? Why have you been entrusted with the resources you've been entrusted with? For some, a little. For some, much. But still, a gift from God. Why have you been given the strength and vitality that you have? For some, a little. For some, much. But still, a gift from God. God has a greater purpose and blessing for our life than we could ever imagine. And it's all about Jesus. <laughs> I mean, really, if you want the clip note version of the sermon today, that's it. It's all about Jesus. I'm not going to put the scripture on the screen for you, but in Romans 4, I would make a note in the margin of your Bible and just put Romans 4, 9 through 12 out by this passage, especially as it deals with Abraham. Romans makes the point here, the Bible makes the point that, that the blessing came to Abraham before he took the sign of the covenant. Now, we talked about what that sign was a couple of weeks ago. But before there was any formalization or, or proclamation publicly that anything had happened, Abraham had already believed God, and it was counted unto him as righteousness. And then we get this incredible statement right here in our text this morning um, that the just shall live by faith. Look with me, please, at Romans 3.10. John, uh, Dr. Hall, I'm just getting on the signal that you gave me right as you were coming up that the scripture was supposed to be read, and I got ahead of myself. He was trying to point to me and say, scripture reading, scripture reading. Oh, yeah, let me do that. Uh, Galatians 3, let's look at verses uh, 10 
through. Mark, sorry to throw you that curveball there. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Verse 11. Now it's evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. God promised that all the nations would be blessed through the covenant promise he had with Abraham. But the end of that couldn't just mean that all the nations would be like the Hebrew nation. Think about this. They were holding on to this promise that God had given Abraham, but they were holding all the other nations at bay. They were saying, Gentiles, no, you dirty Gentiles, you can't be a part of this. If you're not part of the Hebrew family, absolutely not. They forgot that Abraham was a pagan when God called him to believe him. That God established his family through them. That's just remarkable. They were holding on to this. God didn't promise them that all nations, think about the promise he made to Abraham. He didn't say all nations will be blessed through you because they're all going to become Hebrew just like you. He didn't say that. God wasn't trying to homogenize the nations in that way. They, they had, there had to be another layer to this. There had to be another layer to this promise. Spoiler alert, it's all about Jesus. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, fulfilled this system that had always been in place, one that had faith at the beginning. I want you to think about this. We are no longer held at bay from enjoying the blessing that God has to pour out on humanity. Why? Irrespective of our age or nationality, regardless of our ethnicity or class or gender, no matter what our personal history is or our credit score or the dumb decisions we have made in our past, we can each become a beneficiary of God's best because of, say it, It's the right answer. It's the Sunday school answer. You know it. Let's hear it one more time. Because of Jesus. Yeah, that's it. This is better news than a tax refund or the government. It would be a miracle balancing a budget one time. It's better news than any stimulus or windfall that you would get. And this is the blessing of the promise to Abraham that Paul is lovingly but forcefully reminding these Galatians that are struggling to understand, wait a minute, this wasn't just for us. So that's the Abraham promise. Second mountain, let's look at the law's promise. Hang with me as we move quickly through the text. Point two this morning, the law's promise. As we look at verses 10 and 11, I just read those. I want you to skip to verse 19 in your reading, Galatians 3, 19. And let's look at what the Bible says there. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offering should come to whom the promise had been made and it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Nobody in their history of Bible memory verses has ever memorized that verse and made it a life verse. Intermediary, how about the next one? By the way, remember when I told you Galatians 3 was complicated? 
Verse 20 has 400, I'm sorry, 313 uh, commentaries have different views on the application of verse, uh, Galatians 3.20. Guess what I'm not going to give you this morning? Any views on Galatians 3.20, right? We're not going to go there. Okay, let's just deal with what we're dealing with, the fact that it's all about Jesus. The law was given. Why was the law given then, if it's going to be done away with? Well, the law was given to reveal sin and to condemn sinners. You mean the Ten Commandments was given to reveal sin? I thought it was given to teach us how to live. Watch this quote from Martin Luther. He says, The principal point of the law is to make men not better, but worse. Well, that's not on a coffee mug at your house. Most likely. Well, maybe one or two of you. I could think that it would probably fit. But uh, that's not on any mugs or T-shirts that we have. But that's, do you see what's happening here? Think about a parent giving instruction to a child. Now, we know that a heart's child, the child of the heart, or, or the heart of the child, rather, is sinful because they just are. I know yours is perfect, so I'll just talk about mine. They're watching, by the way. I shouldn't, I shouldn't do that. So, so kids are sinful, right? What reveals their sinfulness? Typically, when we give an instruction and they resist or rebel against that instruction. So we say, we say, hey, beautiful person, perfect child, sinless, wonderful, wonder of the ages, apple of my eye, please pick up your toys. Please, pretty please. I don't know how you ask. That's not how I ask. Anyway, we say, pick up the toys, and they go, no. Well, that's where the sin is revealed, that rebellion against the instruction. The command brings the disobedience to the surface. And that's what the law of God does. The law of God exposes the sinful heart in each of us. Have you ever told a lie, one lie in your life? Well, I mean, yeah, a little one, pastor. How many lies do you have to tell to be a liar? Oh, I'm not a liar. Okay, what's the number? How many lies do you have to tell to be a liar? I don't like the question. Awesome. But you see what I'm saying? The law is what shows us our sin. Because if I ask you, do you think you're a dirty, rotten sinner? If I did man-on-the-street interviews for the YouTubes, right, and walked around out there and started man-on-street and people, hey, do you think you're a dirty, rotten sinner? No, I've never killed anybody. Or whatever the line is. They've got a line in their mind they think, I've never done that, so I can't be a sinner. But when we look into God's word, the mirror of the law shows us that we're not capable of keeping the simplest of instructions. Where a parent, though, might offer grace and mercy, the law doesn't. There's no grace and there's no mercy in the Mosaic law. The curse that's mentioned in verses 10 and 13, what is it? The law was given to reveal sin, but it was also given to condemn sinners. No mercy. No chance of appeal. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, another wonderful tool, says it this way. The question is asked, what does every sin deserve? And the answer is, every sin deserves God's wrath and curse, both in this life and that which is to come. I, I just picked all the inspirational quotes for you this morning to put on the screen, didn't I? I want you to look at that, though, in light of God's word. Every sin, remember, is an act of open, hostile rebellion against the holy God. That's what sin is. What does it deserve? It deserves God's wrath and curse, both in this life and that which is to come. That may not be popular, but each of us stands guilty before the law of God. 
You can try to do better. You can try to obey the law. The more you go to church, the more you try to pray, the more you try to be good, the more you try to lead your family the right way, the more the laws look back at you and say, guilty, guilty on all counts, guilty as charged. All right, you got that settled deep in your heart now? Super encouraged, ready to take on life? Now look at verse 13 one more time, Galatians 3, 13. The Bible says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Christ redeemed us. How did he redeem us from the curse? Let me show you three ways that I think he did. And then we're moving toward that last mountain. He fulfilled the law. Jesus Christ fulfilled the requirements of the law. He was virgin born. He was sinless, spotless, pure, undefiled, son of God, son of man. He's the only perfect human that ever lived. Now, I know you wrote some pretty creative things in those Mother's Day cards last week, but Jesus was the only perfect human that has ever lived. How did he redeem us from the law? Number two, he offered that perfect life in our place. Greater man has no love than this. Wow. He did this to satisfy the law's demands on us. He did this to satisfy the law's consequences for us. Jesus was still holy. He wasn't cursed because he had sinned. That was our curse that he was bearing on the cross. Big words here substitutionary sacrifice or the atonement. It's a turnoff, unfortunately, to a lot of ministers today who see it as in conflict with love. We at Grace Covenant see it as the ultimate expression of love, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son to bear our shame, our sin on the cross so that we might have everlasting life. Jesus offered his perfect life in our place. Lastly, he promised the Spirit to empower us. If you finish out verse 13 and 14, just look in your Bibles, it's not on the screen. I wanna leave those notes up there. Verse 14 says, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. His power, the power of the Spirit leads us away from gratifying the flesh, which is in conflict with the law. Spoiler alert, that's in Galatians 5. But he says, if we walk in the Spirit, we don't gratify the desires of the flesh, the lust of the flesh. What a Savior. All of that heavy stuff from the law. We're all sinners. We all stand condemned. We're all worthy of death and wrath. And Jesus steps in and says, ah, ha, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. In verse 14, Paul picks back up with the Gentiles just to kind of drive it home one more time. I just read that to you. And he brings up Abraham again. He's saying, look, don't you see Galatians? Precious, dear Galatians that are being led astray. Don't you see? Once the curse has been removed, the law has been fulfilled in Jesus. Don't you see? My, my Jewish brothers and sisters, Paul's contending, now that the law has been fulfilled, the thing keeping the Gentiles at bay is gone. They can be a part of this with us. They don't have to turn into Hebrews. They get to follow Jesus. Wow. In verse 19, the question is asked, why then the law? Well, we talked about a few things the law does for us. 
One of the things the law did too in societies is it, it reveals sin, but it also helps mitigate evil. It, it, it shows us that life is valuable and dignified. It shows us that personal property is worth protecting. The law of God that's kind of undergirding most of the laws of civilized society provides a mean pr of protection for injured parties, and it's still helpful in those ways today. It also reveals the consequence of those breaking the law. Now, those have been, of course, adjusted through time uh, by societies, not by the Bible, but they've been adjusted through time in that old covenant. But the law still serves a valuable purpose today. But the Bible is making the point here that the law's purpose was to point to our need for a Savior. Look ahead quickly for time this morning at verses 21 and 22 as I come nearing my last point. He asked the question, is the law contrary to the promises of God? No, it's not contrary at all. It served a purpose. Let me summarize those verses for you this way. The law can't make you want to do good. It can only show you the consequences for not doing good. The only thing that can make you want to do good and be good is the grace of God at work in your life. God making all things new. Verses 23 and 24 set us up for the final point this morning. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian, some of your translations say tutor, until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. Tutors had a role in this society. They were the caretakers of Roman sons and they were in the homes and the parents had given them limited authority to help discipline the child so that they could be a successful adult. They weren't fixated in that culture on making children happy. They were fixated on that culture of setting children up to be successful adults. Imagine that. So, by the way, we're not raising children, parents. We're raising adults. Um, that's what we're doing to launch into the deep as arrows, the Bible says, in the hands of a mighty warrior. So here we see tutors given a thing, but their role ended at a certain point when the kids came of age and could begin to make decisions for themselves and demonstrate that they had responsibility. That's exactly what the law did for us, and then Christ shows up on the scene. So I've talked about the promise to Abraham. I've talked about the law's promise. Let me close very quickly this morning with the promise keeper. Final, final note. The promise keeper. Now church, I'm gonna see if you can do better than the last one. You're really faint on the last one. I'm just gonna see if you can guess, if you figured out by now, who the promise keeper is. On three, let's see if you can say his name. One, two, three. Jesus. There we go. They even probably heard that online. That was great. The law was our guardian until Christ came. Here's the good news, the gospel. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ has relieved the tutor of his duties. He's relieved the law of its duties. The Mosaic law, he's, he's addressing both in this passage. I want you to look, let me read these. They're short verses. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons. Look at these two words, sons of God through, and then he says, faith. Don't you love that? Sons, he's pointing back to the Abrahamic covenant there. 
He's, he's tacked on the law here. He's handling both covenants in these couple of verses to there. The blessing of righteousness before God is obtained and maintained by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Not by works, not by tradition. The blessing of the Holy Spirit working in us, living in us, operating in us is obtained by faith in Christ and maintained by faith in Christ. Not by works, not by tradition. Our association to these blessings is by faith alone, in Christ alone, and that comes by grace alone. Later on in your Bible study, I want you to go back and look at a couple of words in verse 16 in chapter 3. And I told you this, I set you up for this earlier. Remember, Israel was thinking all this stuff was for them. But the Bible says, look, all this was for the promised seed, the promised offspring that was coming. The Jews were under the impression that they were the seed and that they were the inheritors of the promise. The Jews were under the impression that God was guaranteeing their land would always be their land for them always. They misunderstood. The blessings were not intended for the Hebrews alone as a special nation. The blessings, the whole narrative was pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ who would come out of a Jewish nation. Listen, when God planned the rescue mission for all of humanity, he decided that he wasn't going to bring them out of an existing people. He created a new family. He created a new nation, a new people to bring it to pass. They set the stage with their culture and their laws and their worship and their ceremonies for the Lord Jesus Christ to show up and to show off as the Savior of the world. Church, it's all about Jesus, the promise to Abraham was about Jesus. The promise to Moses was about Jesus. The whole Bible's narrative is about the Lord Jesus Christ. The Old Testament says he's coming. The Gospels announce that he's here. The writer of Acts preaches and proclaims him. The epistles teach and explain him. Revelation says he's coming again and he has a name. It's Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus. Christ redeemed us, he blessed us, he gave us his Holy Spirit to lead us, to guide us, to justify us as sons of God. I'm gonna ask the musicians to come now as we close this thought. I just want you to think about it, how sad it was that God had given them all of these blessings, the Hebrew people, all of these blessings. You all come on to sing and play a moment for us. And they missed it. In John 1.11, the scripture says, He came unto his own, and his own received him not. Everything they had gone through, all the things they had suffered, all the covenants, all the blessings, all the battles, all the prophets, all the kings, all of it was about Jesus, and they missed it. What about you this morning? either seated here on the property or, or watching online, how tragic it would be for you to miss him. How tragic it would be for you to not come to the understanding that you were made by him and you were made for him. And the relationship that you don't have, you can have today if you'll put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ let me close with this passage in Romans 10, 
then she's going to play. And I hope that you'll take that opportunity to pray. Then we'll sing and get a charge for dismissal. If you'll come to Jesus on his terms, what are they? But what does the word say? The word is near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there's no distinction, I love this, between the Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call upon him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Quick spot test this morning, quiz. What is his name, church? Jesus. Let's pray. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for these moments in your word where you show us so clearly it's all about Jesus. As we leave this place today and as we sing and are leaving and all of these things that we do still to worship you today, we pray that our lives this week would be marked with worship, recognizing that we were made for your glory and you will set us up this week through victory for some, through trial for others, but you will set us up to glorify you. Lord, I pray that our lives would match our profession, that for us to live is Christ. We commit our lives afresh to you now. In Jesus' name, amen.